0: Well, here are just three thoughts for tonight. Number one, suffering helps us to know Jesus better. If I could go to that Philippians passage and just bring you back into it from an earlier point, you'll get a little bit more of the context. It says, whatever, Paul says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death and so how somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, if you know about Paul, you know that he had much to lose by following Jesus. He had to give up all the things that he had accomplished as a religious leader among the Jews. He would give up being great in the eyes of some so that he could know and have the surpassing greatness of Jesus in his life. And he would give up, listen to this, he would give up a more predictable life for something that was filled with risk and potential harm. I don't know about you, but I love the idea that life can be predictable. I love the idea that I can have a certain degree of control with my week to come. You know, we're planners. We make to-do lists. We like to have a sense that we can even uh, chart our destiny or find our path, make our way. Um, But Paul gave up a predictable life for something that was filled with risk and potential harm. As I said, he wanted to know the power of the resurrection, but he also wanted to know the fellowship of sharing in Jesus' sufferings. The question is, why do we want to know that? Why Why would we want to share in the sufferings of Jesus? The primary reason is to learn to be like Jesus. Jesus himself said, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. And so our goal is to be like Jesus in every way. Paul got it when he said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me the totality of Jesus' life was not summed up in the resurrection. As crucial as that doctrine is to our salvation and our faith, Jesus came as the suffering servant. And so the life I live in the body needs to include the life of Jesus, even Jesus who was willing to suffer for the mission of God. On a practical level, When we experience suffering, we can learn how to overcome temptation. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, I want to ask you a question. When you've read that passage before, or as you've heard me read it right now, when is the time of need? I'll confess, I've read this a hundred times, and every time I've read it, I've thought about it after we've sinned, when we need forgiveness. And the reason I've thought that is because it's a, it's a, a throne of grace, and it's a throne of mercy. And... One who sits on it understands that we're weak. And so when we go to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness, it's, it's a verse that suggests that we should go with confidence because he's an understanding God. And yet, it occurred to me that this passage, the time of need, is also before we sin. When we are tempted, one of the ways that we resist temptation is deny self. You see, self is, is a very big part of the temptation process. It's that inner drive that comes within us that we're all born with that has no desire to submit to God. But we have to align it with God. And when we resist temptation, we, one of the things we have to do is deny self. And is there not a degree of suffering when when it comes to denying self? Denying self is hard. If denying self were easy, then none of us would have a, a trouble uh, resisting temptation. But we need to understand that fighting against temptation and denying self involves living the life of Jesus who also resisted temptation and denied self. So in addition to learning how we can uh, overcome temptation, we can also learn how Jesus loved people. Now in Jesus' case, he loved people that betrayed him, denied him, and ultimately crucified him. Those categories don't necessarily apply to us. Perhaps the broadest way to say it, when we have difficulty loving people, it's we love people who stand against us, or we love people who disagree with us. I've often asked groups or the congregation as a whole, you know, how many people like conflict resolution? Not many people, because it's hard. Because there are a lot of uh, difficulties. There's a lot of things to overcome. For example, we need to sacrifice pride quite often to resolve conflict. We need to fight against the temptation to be angry when there's conflict. And and we need to fight against the desire to always be right. And you see, all of those things involve self-denial All of those things, what I'm suggesting to you tonight, involves a certain measure of battling against the forces of evil. a, A certain measure of suffering, if you will. And what we need to do instead when we're in conflict is we need to look past the disagreements, we need to look past the disappointments, and we need to look at people with the eyes of Jesus. In just the same way that Jesus looked at Peter, And said to Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. But Peter, I'm going to restore you. And when he appeared to Mary and the other women at the tomb, he says, go make sure Peter knows. Because I'm going to meet Peter. And I'm going to restore Peter. I know what Peter did to me. Do you see... Conflict resolution, overcoming temptation, all of those things calls for us to put ourselves in the second position, or the third, or the fourth, or the last. It takes a little bit of suffering, so it helps us to know Jesus better. But suffering also teaches us to rely on God. Listen to Second Corinthians chapter 1. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships that we suffer in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead." So you see how Paul looked at suffering. He looked at the hardships as reminding him, as teaching him. But we so easily rely on ourselves, because we can, I guess. We are gifted and we are blessed with talents. And we often forget that everything that we have, everything that we can do is because God gave it to us. We plan, we strategize, we work hard, we get what we need in life. And we can do all these things with a certain measure of success without even giving God a thought. So sometimes we need help to be reminded that apart from God's life and power within us, we can do nothing of eternal significance. Sometimes we need to experience hardship And failure to realize that we're missing out on the greatest power in the universe. I mean, God not only has the power to create life, God has the power to raise the dead. And that's the kind of power that God wants us to have. But when you and I are so caught up in what we can do without him, we don't seek him. We don't seek him for the big things. We don't seek him for the little things. I've asked myself why we don't rely on God all the time for everything we do. And I'm not sure exactly what the answer is for everyone in the room, but for many of us, myself included, it's just due to foolishness. As I said before, there's no law against being stupid, but there are consequences. When hardships come, instead of seeing it as God's prompting to turn to him, we lament discomfort and we lament suffering. And what we need to do instead is we need to embrace it and so that we would get back on track and only do what we do in the name and in the power of God. Oswald Chambers wrote, if you're going to be used by God... He will take you through a number of experiences designed to make you useful in his hands. And I know that some of you have been able to do that. You've been able to look back at your journey and you've been able to see the difficult things that God has brought you through. And when you look backwards, you can see that you are stronger now. You are are in a better position to be used by him. And Ravi Zacharias said when God calls you to a noble task he will break you in ways that you never imagined to reshape you to be the way that he wants you to be so suffering helps us to know Jesus better because Jesus in his suffering understood temptation he he understood how to love the unlovable and suffering helps us to teach us to rely on God. But the last thing I want to say to you tonight is that suffering teaches us how to comfort others. Uh, Paul's words uh, in Second Corinthians 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble with any comfort or with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also, through Christ, our comfort overflows. I want to close by telling you a story. There's a woman named Alpha Tessima. She's the wife of the Ethiopian pastor that leads a Discodon Christ Church, a Discodon Alliance Church that meets in our building at First Alliance. Their first child, Johanan, was born with autism. Johanan means "God is gracious." But when he was first diagnosed, she had a very hard time understanding it all. In fact, she cried many tears. She's a strong Christian woman. Her faith is deeply rooted in God. But this was a hardship that she didn't expect. This was a hardship that she didn't want. And she cried many tears. Today, Johanan is seven years old, and he is learning how to function in a world where he doesn't exactly fit. And Alpha is learning that her son is exactly who God made him to be. And that God is glorified by all of his creation. Her comfort over the years is now being passed on to others. I learned a few weeks ago that the monthly support group that she leads has over 40 families that that come out. Now, she's reaching out to uh, the Ethiopian community in Montgomery County and beyond, and over 40 families are almost knocking down the doors to get in, and I'm sure many of those folks don't know Jesus yet. Did you know that Maryland has the second highest birth rate or rate of births affected by autism? One in every 50 births is affected by autism in Maryland. And the number of autism diagnoses has increased fivefold in the last decade. So the number of families that need comfort and encouragement and, of course, the number of families that need Jesus can best be served by people like Alpha who has experienced the comfort of God. This past Saturday... Alpha was one of the speakers at a World Changers conference. The name World Changers uh, refers to discipling the next generation. And I listened to her and my eyes welled up with tears as I listened to her testimony of God at work. Because, you know, it was just a real story. Real emotions. She was very honest with us. She told us about how difficult it was. She told us how she was learning. And then she told us how God is redeeming it all and using it for his glory. And as I sat there and I listened, I thought to myself, you know, this story is just beginning to be written. But it's a story that includes a degree of suffering, a degree of hardship. And so we are gathered tonight To remember the suffering Christ who died on the cross. And I want to ask you, what hardships are you facing? Are you lamenting them and are you falling away from God because of them? Or are you embracing them and drawing close to Him? So you see, we have a choice to make. There's a mental uh, switch that needs to be flipped. Because we live in a world and an environment that, that pushes us away from discomfort. We want instant gratification. We want everything to be right all the time. But if we flip the switch and realize that any of the sufferings that we experience in the world... Jesus not only knew about them, he lived through them and he overcame them. He overcame the cross with the resurrection, but before there was a resurrection, there was a cross. And that's what we're here tonight to talk about, to remember that Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When we do that, we can know Jesus better. We can learn to rely on God all the time. We can learn to comfort others. And we can know the power of the resurrection. Amen.
1: Thank you, Mike. We're going to take communion together in a moment, Um, but before we do that, I want to read Scripture and then get us prepared for that. Um, But as we're preparing, uh, how we're going to celebrate communion tonight is we have four different stations. Um, Each one has some bread and a cup at it where you take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, the one in back on this side, so the right side has gluten-free option with a cup. That's just for gluten-free if you have gluten intolerance. But we're going to have you join with other people to take communion, and not just people you know, but with people that you're unfamiliar with, because as uh, Mike and I come together and as we bring two churches together, we want to use this as a time to get to know one another too. Um, And so it's going to be a good time, but just prepping you for that. So let me read simply about the death of Jesus and then talk about the cup and the bread that we're going to partake in. This from Matthew 27, starting at verse 45. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sakbakathani, sak which means, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. And they said, this man truly was the Son of God. As Mike talked about suffering, we get a small glimpse Of the suffering of Jesus. In Isaiah 53, it talks about that Jesus was a man acquainted with suffering and deepest sorrow. Some call him the man of sorrows. Jesus knows your suffering. As he prepared to go to the cross just the evening before, he gathered with his closest friends in an upper room to celebrate the Passover feast. If you're familiar with the Passover feast, there was actually not one cup, but four cups that they would partake in that evening. The first cup would be taken, and that was the cup of sanctification. If you're familiar with the Christian Missionary Alliance, that many of you are, we appreciate the cup of sanctification, that God has come to set us apart for his purposes. And set us apart as holy. And they would drink that cup first. The second cup of the Passover was the cup of plagues. And they take that cup to be remembered. When God poured out his wrath. On the Egyptians as they were being ready to be released. They would remember in that cup also. The angel of death. That came and took all the firstborn. Of the Egyptians but passed over. The firstborns. The Israelites. The third cup was the cup of blessing or the cup of redemption. And the final cup was the cup of praise. Now, traditionally, after the meal is when you would take the third cup, and it states in the Gospels that after the meal, Jesus took the cup. So that would have been the cup of redemption, the cup of blessing. And he states that this cup, I'm going to give a new meaning to. That there is going to be redemption, but it's not simply going to be the Passover of the blood of a lamb. Redemption found in an animal, but there's going to be redemption found in my blood. And he states, take this cup. This cup is a symbol of my blood. This is redemption that is coming to you. Now, it's interesting because if we fast forward to the garden, right before he is betrayed, he's in the garden talking about a cup. He says, if there's any possible way, take this cup from me. And even in those four cups of the Passover, the cup of suffering isn't necessarily talked about. But we see the cup of suffering in the garden. But we see that he also stated with that cup of suffering, not my will, but yours be done. And as Mike even shared about suffering, that is a great prayer alongside whatever suffering we're facing. We don't know God's purposes. We don't know his plans. And even Jesus, the perfect son of God, suffering, getting ready in the garden and being prepared to suffer for the sins of you and I was saying, if there's a different option, if there's a different way that you can do this, God, I would rather not have the cup of suffering. But I'm going to submit myself to your will, to your purposes. And I imagine that maybe somehow some of the disciples were making a connection as they watched Jesus being crucified. And thinking just the evening before, as they gathered and they drank that cup saying, there is blood going to be shed, my blood, Jesus' blood, and a new covenant is being formed. I imagine some of them were having small or grand revelations of what was happening. As he took that Bread and said, this is my body that's going to be broken for you. I imagine as they looked at his body being broken. Maybe the aha moment came after the resurrection. Or maybe it started in that moment. But Jesus was paying the penalty for our sins. He took that cup and gave it a whole new meaning. In his blood, he took that bread and said, it is my body that will be broken for you. So Father God, I pray as we take this moment together to celebrate communion, may the reality of your sacrifice for us, the cup of redemption, the cup of blessing that is found in you, become an even greater reality. For those of us who have celebrated communion hundreds and thousands of times, may you give us a new revelation tonight, a fresh revelation of the immensity of your sacrifice. For, For maybe someone in here tonight who this is their first time taking communion, may this be a significant moment as we participate in the death of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.